0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Gracious God, you are bringing an awesome, wonderful day. And it's a day that will never end. I thank you for that fact, and I pray now that as we consider it this morning, and as we look at a a portion of your Scripture that tells us something about it, Lord, be, be in the details and be in this passage, and also be above it and beyond it, and be lifting up our eyes and showing us something large and grand. Your fulfillment of a millennium-long journey—the the final, the final step of what has been a long trek through much history. None of it news to you. You've you've ordained it all. Have known it all. But we have walked a long way but there is an end. And I pray, help your people to see it. Help us to thirst for it and long for it and to rest in it. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us to live now as citizens of that place. To walk with you now while acknowledging that we will walk with you differently then. Help us, Lord, I pray. And God, we need your spirit to be on us and among us here this morning. If this is going to happen, Lord. We need you to clear away all the distractions, all the, whatever sinful barriers there may be, and it's also just the, the burdens of, of life here. Clear them away, Lord. Set them aside. If there's sin that we need to confess, bring that up now. If there are distractions we need to, to put on hold. Make that clear to us. Pray, Lord, have your way with us and teach us. Fill us. Touch us. The men and women, teenagers, the kids here in this room. Be present, God, to show yourself a good God to them. Teach us, I pray, Lord, for your great glory and for the good of us, your people. Amen. We are coming near to the end of our time at, look, at looking at these first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We've been here now for a while looking at the letters to the seven churches where God has spoken to the church to tell churches essentially some of what it means to be a church pleasing to Christ, Ahead of the church. We've been here looking at this because we want to learn. We, we want to be a type of church that, that Christ would be pleased with. So we've been there. We've seen, particularly in chapter 1, the sovereignty of God emphasized. But should God, the Father and God the Son, reigning over all things, He has everything under His control. He is God. And He controls not only the good things but also the hardships and the sufferings that we face, and that comes up a lot in these letters because these churches knew hardship and suffering. And He says, "I am over that too, and I'm over all of the deliverance out of the hardship and suffering. I am with you in everything." And last week we saw him speaking to the church in Philadelphia, instruction to a small and weak church that is facing a lot of hardship. They were faithful to him, though. They held on to him and held on to the gospel and believed it. And so he says to them, he wants to commend them and encourage them, and he says, I opened the door into the kingdom. He has the key, it says there, and I've opened the door into the kingdom. You have access to God and no one can shut that door. He gives them an assuring encouragement there. And promises that in time he's going to make clear to everyone as he vindicates them that he loves them, his people. And he issues them a a number of different promises, particularly in verses 12 and 13. And while we looked at verses 12 and 13 at the very end of last week, there's so much there. As I thought more about it, I thought there might be some benefit for us to kind of hang out for a little bit longer in those two verses. That we're going to do this morning. We're not going to advance on to the the final letter. We're going to kind of pause in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3 and use those verses as a launching point into some material at the end of the book of Revelation, particularly because of the phrase he uses about the new Jerusalem, the the city of God. If we were just going to work through the whole book of Revelation, we could just leave it at that, trusting that eventually we're going to come to the end. We'll pick up there with... This this idea of the new Jerusalem, but because we're not going to work through the whole book, I I thought it might be some help for us all to kind of go there this morning. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple of verses, but then go to the end and look mostly at chapters 21 and part of 22. So much there. I'm only going to be able to touch on it briefly, touch on some of the high points. But essentially, we're going to work towards this point in the language of chapter 21. Here's Here's my main point for this morning. There is a time coming when we who conquer will be His people and He will dwell with us and be our God. There's a time coming when we who conquer will be His people and He will dwell with us and be our God. In fullness, forever, in an awesome and glorious display of all of his goodness forever and ever and ever to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what we're going to work towards. And I'm going to read a whole lot of text this morning. I'm going to read two verses from chapter 3 and then go and read most of chapter 21. I'm going to skip one part and then first five verses of chapter 22. And as I do, you're going to see there's a whole bunch of imagery there. So before I read, let me remind us about how to think about imagery. We talked a little bit about this in in chapter 1, but imagery needs to be understood in the context into which it was written and the context from which it is written. Much of this imagery is written from an Old Testament context into a first century context. And we think about it in that light, a lot of things make a whole lot more sense. And we realize the message the image is communicating. We cannot read these things with a wooden Literalism. In other words, chapter 1, Jesus does not have a three-foot curved sword sticking out of his mouth. Not ever. And especially not while at the same time talking with a voice like thundering water. Those are all images trying to communicate something to us about swords, judgment from word and power and majesty from thundering water-type voice. If we we think a little bit, we can understand the imagery. The same thing comes up again in in these latter chapters. In particular, one section I'm going to skip has a whole lot about the city's dimensions, the city of God that comes down from heaven. It says it it measures 12,000 stadia. That's an ancient unit of measurement. 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia long, 12,000 stadia high which converts to about 1,400 miles. If that were to be read in a wooden, literal way, that would be a city reaching from Spain to Iraq. And think of how tall that is. Outer space, in which nothing can live, is about 62 miles above the surface of the earth. Most of the city would be uninhabitable. 1,400 miles is way beyond that. That's not, not intended to communicate that to us. There's a whole bunch of other message, though, there. One that's relevant for us this morning is that it is a perfect cube. The same dimension every way, it's a perfect golden cube. Just like the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the old Jerusalem. This is the place where God dwells and where we will dwell with him. That's what we're going to work towards this morning. And as I read all of this, perhaps for you, maybe maybe the greatest benefit that you'll receive this morning is to read this, to follow along, and see it. If you're a Christian, this is where you are going. This is not where you are going. What I'm going to read is where you are going. We read a couple of verses from chapter 3 and then a bunch from 21 and 22, so follow along with me. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And from chapter 21, this is after the final judgment, then... But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates. On the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor any one who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit Yielding its fruit each month The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations No longer will there be anything accursed But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it And His servants will worship Him They will see His face And His name will be on their foreheads And night will be no more They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Obviously, there is a lot there. What I'm going to attempt to do is Condense it into two main points along the lines of that theme us with Him, Him our God, our dwelling with Him. I'm going to make two points then. Here's the first one He will give us citizenship in His marvelous coming city. Christ will give us citizenship. In the marvelous coming city, the city of God. That's what it means in chapter 3, verse 12, where Christ says that he's going to write on you, Christian. He's going to write on you the name of the city of my God, the the name of the city, the new Jerusalem. What's being referred to there is is an ancient citizenship role where somebody's name is put on the roll, they belong to this city, and then you're given some sort of a mark or a card or Something to prove that I'm from that city. That, that's my home. We have the same sort of thing today. There are records of where your official residence is. And we even use it in our language. We might say of somebody, he's a New Yorker. She's a Parisian. Put the name of the city on her. We, we say, this is where she's from. That's where she is a citizen. Well, here, he will give you citizenship, residence, a right to live there in the holy city the new Jerusalem, which he then describes in chapter 21. Do you see it? I turn to chapter 21, and the potential danger here is that we would spend a year looking at every single detail and elaborating this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and, and lose the forest for every single one of a thousand trees. Do you see it? A bride. As she steps into the sanctuary and all eyes turn to her and everyone rises radiant and glorious. A bride. This is a city adorned like a bride coming to her groom. Beautiful. Glorious. In her peace and in her harmony. She is a bride. She is a a city in which there is no more weeping and no more mourning, and every tear and every sorrow has been removed as all things are made new. A bride, a city of joy and rest, peace. The curse is gone. And all there is left is this tree of life that we were denied access to and now it comes back and it brings 12 months of the year, all year round, healing to all of you who are the nations. Do you remember the story? Very beginning of the Bible. We dwell with God in a garden and we fall into sin and are cut off from it and removed forever from hope and from life. The tree of life, denied access, and here it comes back. Lining the banks of a river from which you can drink for free and be filled up and have your thirst quenched and be healed. Made whole, no curse. What a place. Verse 11. A place that has the glory of God all over it and all through it. Having the glory of God, its radiance is like a jewel. That's what all the jewels and all the gold are trying to tell us. Think about this. Jewels and gold by themselves are rocks and metal. They only look good when light from somewhere else shines on them and in particular shines through them. You take a stone and you cut it perfectly and if it internally is flawless, light passes through it and shines and sparkles, refracts and spreads color. Beautiful. It's a city in which the curse is removed and the glory of God shines through it and shows wonders. It all beams. It's the quality of life. It's the type of life that we each are all deeply attracted to and desperately seeking. If you're not a Christian this morning, it's the life you want. It's what we're all after. And chapter 3 says that we will be pillars there. Stable, not moving. Permanence. He is bringing this to you surely and permanently. Christian, realize this. Now, I know I'm, I'm talking to you and you know it, but realize it that God would lift up your eyes and cause you to see this and to see it as what you are moving towards and to realize that this here is not your home. Brothers and sisters, this here is not your home. And the sorrows that you know here are not lasting. And the hopes that you know here are passing away themselves also because there is a greater and higher one coming. And if you would see this, it would, it would shape what you chase and how you chase it here. Indeed, we are to live here as Christians, doing good to the city in which we live now, but with an eye on the fact that there's another one coming. Don't expect this place to be home. Don't fret when it isn't. Don't spend yourself for it. Live for another. Hope in another. He's going to bring something to you, and I say that in the singular, to you to be shared with us. So bring it to you in the singular, for you in the plural. Because this is not a solitary experience, he describes this as a city. We need to take a few minutes and think about that. This is a city; it's a community. It's also described as the bride of the Lamb. This is the church. Do you realize that? We have the physical place where we're dwelling—the new heaven and the new earth—but what the city is is the people of God, the bride. This is a community that comes into the geography. Now, it's got the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, so there are ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles in the church. Yes, indeed, for sure. But it is the people of God. He's bringing something for us, all of us together, a city which may seem odd to some of us, because some of us hate cities. It would seem more natural, in some of our experience, if this was a meadow, or a mountain range, or a lake, or fields, or forests. Because that's where you go to experience what this is talking about. If there's any place where many of us find rest and peace and joy and contentment and a sense of, ah, it's in nature. It's not in the city. We leave the city and go find God out in nature and there he meets us and there he fills us up and there he encourages us and from there then he strengthens us to go back into the city and endure it. All the chaos, the traffic, the sin that is in the city. So for some of us, Placed in a city forever sounds more like a sentence than like a gift of blessing. it seems counterintuitive. Now, if it was a garden, like the Garden of Eden, that makes some sense, but it's a city. Well, think about this. And I think, at least for me, as I thought about this, this put a different twist and it, it heightened all the stuff that I just said about what the life there is like, you can read it right there, it heightened how I thought about those things and it, it gave me a different understanding of what God is going to do when he brings this city and gives me citizenship in it. So I pray it has some effect like that on you. But think about this. The reason we don't like cities right now, or if it, I don't mean just to be urban, the reason we don't like big piles of people right now is that what that is, is a big pile of sinners. And when I go off into the meadow, I'm the only sinner there. So there's a very high likelihood that nothing's going to clash with my sinful desires, my sinful agenda, my self-focus. Nothing's going to rile me up, and I'm not going to suffer from your sinful nature because you're not with me. What I have left to look at, then, is nature. And God in that nature. But when it come back to the city, you, unfortunately, are in the car right in front of me and in the apartment right above me and in the bed right next to me. And that creates a different situation. We experience the, the friction of two people who are not living under the supremacy of God for His good in other people's lives, but are frankly living for ourselves. And we experience this. So to find God, we at least have to go to the park in the city, maybe to the mountains. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. There's, there's a validity to that. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make is that when we live here with people, this is the experience And so there is a certain blessedness to withdrawing the nature and to look at God in the intimacy of of a little bitty detail of a flower or in the vastness of the starry sky. There's a certain legitimacy to that. City right now means concentration of sin. It shouldn't. It should mean concentration of image bearers who each one of them has the highest capacity of all of the creation, has the highest capacity to display God in all of his marvelous goodness. But fallen doesn't happen. We long to see it, though, so we run away to nature. The situation is a bit like looking at a fully functioning skyscraper and a simple park bench both designed in every detail by the same architect if you look at the fully functioning skyscraper you see in it level upon level of fascinating creativity and detail you see the obvious things the, the place where it was it was situated to give the view you see the, the materials the glass you see the furniture inside of the elevators you look more closely you see the the more subtle details, the wiring, the airflow of the building. And then there's the bench. A piece of wood, a few screws, a couple of right angle cuts. Simple. One draws your attention, one gets passed by. Until the skyscraper becomes a war zone and a tomb for several thousand people. shattered, reduced to dust particles and pieces of metal twisted beams. It becomes ugly and troubling for us. We don't go there to marvel anymore. We turn away from it. And all that's left us is the bench. We don't go to the skyscraper to look at the marvelous intricacies of the architect's mind. It turns us off and we flee from that to see what we can in the lesser light. That's where we are today. Surrounded by image bearers who are carriers of potential but are twisted and marred, troubling, and they turn us off. But one day, this is where I begin to think again about this passage. One day, what he's saying when He makes all things new, when He removes off of us all of the former things, including the curse, what that will leave us with is image bearers like we are supposed to be. The skyscraper will be restored and our eyes will be drawn to it away from the lesser now to see the fullness of that which our hearts long for. In people, the image bearers, far more capable of displaying all of what we are after than a simple bench. That's what he's going to do. Everything in people that drives you away. and Some of that is serious. I know people, I know some of you, you know people who have a really difficult time, let's just say, being with men because of what that one man did to me some time back there. So I'm, I'm afraid of men, I avoid them and I am never alone with one. Or maybe less dramatic, you kind of feel that when you're around people, they're always trying to use you for something. That's not comfortable. You avoid them. Or you avoid that particular person because, frankly, she talks way too much. I'm not sure if that's her problem or my problem, that I'm not patient. Either way... Maybe I'm just socially awkward and I feel embarrassed to be around people constantly not knowing what to say. Everybody else is having a good time and I just feel completely awkward. And so I stand as the wallflower on the side. Out. The game's going on. I'm out. Or I have a difficult people with don't, who don't, difficult people who don't understand what I actually know to be true. And again, I'm not sure whose problem that is. But I don't like those people. You don't either. And all that stuff that separates us, all of that stuff that separates us will be changed and made new. And the sorrow and the trouble and the difficulty, the friction, the anger, the sin will be taken away, and what you will find there is a human being through whom the glory of God shines so clearly, so profoundly, you will be in awe and will never think of fleeing away to nature. I had an experience a few months back. I stood right here on these steps, actually. And it was one of the most, at least one of the most dramatic nature experiences that I can remember that I've, that I've ever had in my life. It was early evening. I stood out here in the late fall. It was a warm night. And the sun was setting over the mountains over here, blazing red all across the tops of the ochres which means that the sun is shining against the sides of these mountains right here, and all the different colors were were beautiful. Stunning. I'm standing on the steps looking this way. Warm, quiet, ever just so gentle breeze, and right directly at me, six or eight geese in a little V formation, flying so low I think they're going to run into me. I think they must have landed right behind the building here because they're, they're low. A little afraid they were going to bomb me, but they didn't. <laughs> honk, 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 honk. Honk, 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 coming right at me. I mean, I can see their eyes, it feels like. And the sun ablaze and the mountains shining. I started to cry. It was so beautiful. I'm standing there on the steps of the church, looking at this. And what rushes to my mind is the glory of the God who made this and gave me the ability to experience it and to feel what just rose up in me. And the thoughts that came to my mind, I didn't make myself think about God. God just came to mind because He's the one who made that and that and that and the the atmosphere in my heart. Marvelous. And that will all pale in comparison to what you will find with these people in this city. You can't imagine that, I can't imagine that experience with you over coffee right now. (laughs) It might go, okay, it won't be that, but one day it will be. You and I will marvel at the geese, sure. But we will more marvel at each other because more than anything else in the creation, you and I bear the image of God. No burning ball of gas or flying bird bears the image of God like you will. You are the jewel, flawless on the inside with the facet cut and the light shines through. We don't praise the rock We praise the God who gives it the sparkle. And when everything is made new and all of the old curse from this world is stripped away, that's what we will experience. This glorious healed bride. And the bride of Christ will be your joy just like it is His. This people is the deep delight of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. The deep delight of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. He loves you with an everlasting love, and one day I will too. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I do, to my great joy, to His great honor. And you will love the city of God and be thankful forever that He granted you citizenship in it by coming to die for you and remove off of you the barrier that kept you out of it, your sin. Citizenship in this city, a right to be among this people will be marvelous. Right now, we don't think so because, I mean, look at us. Look at me. You're not really that excited to be with me. You're not. One day you will be because I'll be different and so will you. We we view churches right now as grocery stores. I go here for a little while and then, then the price of bread goes up and I'll go over there. How little attraction we have to any particular people. What a tragedy. How we view the people of God right now is, eh, what's in it for me? One day it's going to all be dramatically different. You will see the people of God like God does. And there will be great joy and no more sorrow. If you think about the sorrow and the tears and the death and the crying and the pain, 95% of that comes from other image bearers. And that will all be gone. You'll have access to the tree of life and you'll drink from that water, be fed and filled forever with the people in a city. Those on whom God's glory rests. It's not because of them, it's because His glory rests on them. Which takes me to the second point. Which I've been skirting around the whole time here, so this is rather related. The second point. He will give us His own presence in His marvelous coming city. He will give us his own presence in the coming city. This shows up in several ways in our verses from chapter 3, 12 and 13 talk about being made a pillar in the temple, which is not a contradiction with what he says later in 21, verse 22, about how there is no temple. The whole city is a temple. The whole whole city is described as a temple. It means that, that God's got the whole place for his dwelling, and you're a pillar there. You're permanently there. And shows up when he talks about writing his name on us, which again comes up in chapter 22, verse 4. He writes his name on us. That is, he creates and displays a relationship, an ownership. I am my child's father. And you know that because we both have my name. My name is on all of them. But relationship with us constantly experienced as He dwells in our midst. Behold," says the loud voice from the throne, "the dwelling place that is the tabernacle, that goes of the temple there. The dwelling place of God is with man; He will dwell with them." And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Three different times. His dwelling, He dwells with, He is with. This is looking ahead to the end and seeing that what has been the long foretold promise throughout all the Scriptures finally comes to pass. I did a very quick search through the Old Testament just looking for the language. He will dwell with them and be their God. They will will be His people Over 20 times, that very wording shows up in the Old Testament. I'm sure it's there more. Not to mention all the passages that have the same concept but different words. It's all over the Bible from start to finish. It is not a stretch to say, this is what's going on. God created so as to have a people that he could be among to show himself shining through them for his glory and for their good. And it falls apart in the garden when we sin. And he brings it about at the end, finally. And he describes it. I, I am most captured by how he describes it with all of the light shining imagery. It is light shining Verse 23 of chapter 21 says, The city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God shines on it everywhere. The glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God shining out of the Lamb. That's the lamp. The light fixture, if you will. Point. He will be with us in every nook and cranny of life, in every building, in every room, shining, eliminating every sense of darkness, every sense of danger. That's what night's about, every sense of confusion or uncertainty. God is there. Everywhere. And His presence, His light shining into us and then through us unto others is what makes heaven heaven. It is what makes this people and this city so good. What could possibly trouble us with God present? What could possibly cause us to mourn and weep with God present like that? What could possibly leave you wandering aimlessly wondering, what am I for, what am I about, what should I be and do? If God shines on you with that kind of clarity and that kind of power, drawing your attention to Him, what, what could it, how could that possibly be? Anything but wonderful. Now, what exactly is going on there? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. I think we have a clue that this city has descended into the new heaven and the new earth. There is a creation all around us, and I think, like the garden, we tend it. It's a little bit of speculation. The point is, we will have him always intimately, powerfully present. You have known this experience in snippets if you're a Christian. You have had a time of prayer. You have had a moment with your Bible Maybe a moment standing on the steps looking at geese. You have had a moment when God was there. And then it was gone. The gone part will be gone. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Not in some detail. Not about some particular fact. It means that at 5 o'clock on Tuesday I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. No, what I mean is can you conceive of, can you step back for a minute and conceive of a life forever that's like that moment where I see God so clearly that I'm almost right on the verge of weeping. It's so beautiful and so freeing forever. Can you know that? It'll come one day because He will be there dwelling in our midst forever. Forever. But for a moment to bring it back from that day, back to this day, you experience in a moment his presence. And then it's gone. But Christian, let me encourage you, do not resign yourself to that's eh, gone. That's what always happens. Because he means for you to know him and to walk with him that 's why he gave you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. You cannot now perfectly experience his presence that that comes in this day, but he means for you to experience his presence now it 's why he 's given you the spirit it 's why he 's given you his scriptures to talk to your mind. And give you the spirit to take truth and change your mind. To renew you. So while I'm talking about what that day then will be like, I also want to tell you, encourage you, press after that now. You can't get there all the way. You can't. But you can press after it now. You can walk with God now. He is with you now. By His Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you and means to fill you, that is, control you. Now. And when that happens, you'll experience His presence, you'll experience the people of God differently. You'll experience the sorrow in a different way. A little bit of a lightning. You'll be able to rejoice in it even while sorrowing. This is the promise that the New Testament holds out to you, Christian. That heaven, in a bit, in a piece, lives in you even right now. As God the Holy Spirit indwells you. A down payment on what is to come. Walk with Him then. Which means, take a moment before God the Spirit and say to Him, I want more than I have. Would you please give it? When sin comes to your mind, you confess it. Lord, take that away from me. You take truth in your hands and say, God, help me to believe it. You see life passing in front of you. You obey Him in those moments. All the while also praying, God, help change me. God, be present with me here talk to me, guide me, correct me, lead me. In other words, dwell with me right now, please. It's His command to you. Be be filled with the Spirit. It's His command to you, but it's also a great offer to you because you can actually experience some of heaven right now. Not like it's going to be, but a little bit. For your good, then I exhort you walk with God. Live with Him now, today, moment by moment. And if you are not a Christian, I just ask you do you want to be a part of this city? Do you want to experience this good God? If so, surrender. God, have me. Forgive me of my sin. Have me. If you want to talk more about that later, please do. But I I hope that you don't miss this city. It's your only hope. And it is a great hope. Let me pray for us now as we move towards communion. And we remember what it is that he has done to give us a citizenship and to give us access to him. Let me pray. God, would you help us to see... Would you help us to see what you are bringing... Would you help us to see how you have provided for a little bit of that experience now? Would you help us to see your light shining through this lamb even here? We remember what the lamb did as we take the bread and the cup in our hands, Lord, and I pray, speak to your people, remind them and encourage them. You are a good God. I say thank you for your grace. Meet us now as we take these elements in our hands. I pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.